Hello and welcome to In Conversation with Lisa Burke, where today I'm joined by two social impact entrepreneurs, Bernard Merckx and Leslie Malipard, who have come from the Netherlands and Austria to to join us here in Luxembourg and really explain to us much more about the circular economy and how to stop plastic waste. So welcome to you both and welcome to Luxembourg. Thank you very much, Lisa. Look forward. Thanks, Lisa. Now, just in a nutshell, Bernard, can you explain to us a little bit about your past? I know you've really spent your entire lifetime career working with plastics in all sorts of different ways in your companies, in your different roles, and also incredibly linked to the European Union. Yes, thank you for that question. Yes, after quite successful study of economy, I applied for a job in a plastic recycling company, which was not very well seen at that time. That company now is among the world market leaders. The aim was always, can we reuse materials which are already there and can we bring them up to a high level or keep them at high level, which basically today is the fundament of what is called circular economy. And the simple answer there is, yes, you can do that if you sort it right, if you collect it right, and if you have the right tools to do it. That led then for me becoming the president of the European Umbrella Association, Plastic Recyclers Europe, which then brought me, of course, to Brussels. And over the last two, three decades, a lot of legislation, of course, has been coming up on waste management and waste issues. And I've been directly and indirectly involved in most of them. Leslie, turning to you, originally from South Africa, you've spent time in Luxembourg, all sorts of different countries, lived most recently in Ireland and have now just moved to Austria. So your background is is very diverse. You have a consulting company that advises late stage growth companies in cybersecurity, data privacy, all of that. But aside from that, you have also co-founded the Planet Calls Foundation. How did this come into being and your passion for it? Lisa, it's lovely being on the show and thank you for such a warm welcome. For me, it started out in Ireland, in fact, when 2018, when China closed its doors to receiving recycling from around the world. And I noticed an increase in pollution in Ireland, in the oceans and in the rivers. And along my walks that I would do, I noticed all this pollution in the waters. And I said to myself, let me start this one woman campaign where I start picking up the rubbish with my picker, my gloves and my black bag. And in fact, you've actually been in Ireland with me doing the exact same thing. That started me on my journey and I realized that here I was one person trying to make an impact and was I really making that impact. Where it boiled down to was that people started pollution, so I believe people can stop pollution. And that's where I came in. Fast forward a few more months and I started the Planet Calls and that's where we started looking at how we could raise awareness and educate people and companies in closing that loop. Focusing on circular economy, how to implement circular economy principles into the core of their businesses. Bernard, you also mentioned circular economy and I know two to three decades ago when you started out on this journey, you were focusing on closing the loops. Most of us know what the circular economy is, but just in a nutshell, tell us again what it really means. The principle of a circular economy is, of course, that we stop using new and refreshed material and use the materials which are already in the circle and use them again and again and again. And in the case of plastic, it means that we have to stop incinerating it and we have to stop landfilling it and put it into a recycling loop. And next to that, of course, a reduction and prevention and more clever use of raw materials is a key issue. You work very closely with the European Union. How well are we doing as Europe? If you look at it on a global scale, I think Europe is in the lead. 
But if you really look and dig down into the details, we are just at the early stage of a circle. So there is a lot we can do. The technologies are there. But for one reason or another, not all the things we can do today are implemented. Of course, the role of industry is very important there. You work at the level of legislation, lobbying for change at the European level, and you have your foundation in the plastics industry. Now, Leslie, turning to you, you're perhaps the more closer example to normal people, us on the street. How can we live our lives? You took this idea and you've run with it. Most of us can't do that. But what can we we do as individuals to make a change? I think, Lisa, first of all, when I saw the stats of 9% of plastic ever produced has, has been recycled and the rest is ending up on landfill and incineration and in the environment. And I looked at the changes that I could make myself as the individual. And I really think it boils down to that to one person and not thinking that, oh, we're so reliant on, on the producers to make those changes. We actually are. So I made a choice to actually vote with my wallet to improve my recycling at home. But there's a number of things that you could do. I mean, you could force yourself or actually educate yourself in purchasing materials that are already made from recycled products. You can look at buying products that can be reused over and over again. I know my little one, she's nine years old shortly, and she's very good at reusing products. So she actually goes into my plastic bin every single day and she's like, oh, mom, I can use this bottle as a pencil case. And she does all those conversions. So she's already this little entrepreneur just at such a young age. And I'd love for people to be thinking like like she is. We also need to figure out how to improve our recycling. I think where one can make the greatest impact is if you look at property development companies. There's a large volume of people living in apartments or in smart cities that you could work with and implement easy sort of recycling uh, solutions to help people recycle, encourage them. A lot of times people get put off by walking into the bin area and it's disgusting and things are overflowing. But when property developers actually change that, people are excited and are keen to do that recycling. I think also when we look at the circular economy, I always talk about reduce, reuse and recycle. And it's in that order reduce your consumption of plastic waste or using products that are based on plastic rather go zero waste shopping, which is not always easy because you might not have that shop around yourself. And you spoke about it yourself. When you're running a household, you need fast, convenient solutions. And quite interestingly, in the 1950s, there was an advert that was brought out and they said, the new disposable items making your life easy because doing household chores was such a long process. And when they brought out these disposable items, it was going to make your life easy, but that was the decline of our economy. We have a responsibility both sides as individuals and also from an industry company level. So Bernard, from your point of view and from the EU legislation point of view, where is the role of companies? I'm thinking of supermarkets, for example, here. I've seen in recent years a real change in how things are packaged. I can think of a particular supermarket I shop in. Things have very suddenly, overnight it seemed, changed to more cardboard packaging. Firstly, tell me, is that better? That's an interesting one. And the answer is not simple yes or no. In a lot of cases, the answer could be no. If you look at plastic as the enemy, then you will simply say yes. But if you really look what could be done and what could have been done differently, it might be the better choice. I think what sets people off is if you walk a street and it looks like a little place. If you look at, you, you mentioned the supermarket, try to make a salad at home. <laughs> you have more packaging than you have salads. So there is also, I think, a trend in the supermarkets which has gone maybe a little bit too far. It can't only be just convenience. 
you can do shopping at the market without packaging. There are supermarkets who have now a packaging-free lane. So there is a development there. And especially the retail in general, so not only the food supermarket, but also, let's say, the electronics, all the things which are packed, they can do a different type of purchasing. They can push the brand owners to change packaging. They can push the brand owners to be more sustainable. They can accept, let's say, deposit schemes so that things are being collected separately and on high quality. But you see that 50% of them is in pro and 50% is against. So we're at at the turning point. And from the legislation point of view, I always think back at your lobbying, the fact that you are having these conversations with the change makers at a European level, a ministerial level. How are they viewing this situation? If you look at the plans which have come out recently, the Green Deal, the presentation by Ursula von der Leyen, the, the statements from Franz Zimmermans, I think there is a huge will of change. Especially during this COVID time, I think it's also a huge opportunity not to restart the old economy. If we have to spend the money now, let's do it in a more clever way than we have done before. Do we have to go away from fossil? Yes, in certain cases, yes. Is the electric car the solution to everything? That remains to be seen. There might have been a push for hydrogen, for example, instead of electric. Is electric then an intermediate? Yeah, why not? But we cannot go back and continue the way we lived before. It doesn't mean we have to give up our luxury. We just have to be more clever. And Leslie, from the point of view of the person at home, thinking myself, (laughs) the various bits of plastic I have, I try my best to recycle. It's taken actually, I would say, in general, quite seriously in Luxembourg. We have great recycling centres here. I I try to be diligent about my different plastics. Can you explain to me how should I recycle my plastics? By which I mean there are very different types of plastics. And you informed me when I was with you in Ireland that if a piece of plastic has, for example, let's say a plastic bottle, if the the bottom ring is not attached to the top, I can't recycle that because they can't remove that. Mm. So that's already to landfill, Mm. which I didn't know about. Mm. If my piece of plastic has some sticker on it in paper... I can't recycle that. Yeah. So these things are, are not generally known. So on that front, can you just talk to us about that? So when I was in Ireland, I discovered that recycling was failing in the sense that when we were putting our plastic in the bins and we were hoping that everything was being separated at the recycling company, but it wasn't. And I think that's purely for the fact that there might not have been sophisticated recycling companies in Ireland. Since moving to Austria, Austrians don't discriminate against plastic. Soft plastic and hard plastic goes in the same bin and somehow, and I actually probably need to go and visit the the, the recycling plant to find out how exactly they're processing the plastic. So you are correct in the sense that, you know, when you're putting a bottle in the bin, often there's two different types of plastic on that bottle. And if you can separate that, that's great. Often you've got that ring wrapped around the top of the bottle, which is very dangerous if it gets onto a little animal or ingested by an animal. So often people are cutting those as well and popping them into the bin. In terms of plastic that's tainted, that in Ireland was always turned away because if it had food taint on it, it wasn't accepted as a product that can be recycled and would have ended up on landfill or in the incinerator. So I think every country is different. As you say, in Luxembourg, you are spoiled by the fact that the government has good recycling facilities. So when I was with you in Ireland, you showed me things that to you are completely Mm. natural and obvious, but to a normal person like myself, they they were not obvious. Mm. I have my sheet of paper saying, put this here, put that Mm. there. It gives me some inclusion into the system of how to separate Mm. everything. Mm. But I just want to know that 
that time spent doing that makes a difference. Mm. One big thing that you want to be doing is, I don't know if you have a general waste bin and that you want to make sure it has the least amount of waste because that definitely ends up in landfill or in the incinerator. In the end, what we're now discussing again is single-use packaging. Yes. Which is only 40 or 50% of the waste stream. Mm. There is so much more packaging. If you have your mobile phone, you won't tip it on the street because it has a value. Mm. and you want it to be served again. If you have a a fridge, you bring it to a recycle center, so it's dismantled and you take out the good pieces. So why would you tip a PET bottle on the street? (laughs) Or why would you put your COVID gloves on the street? People don't have the feeling that it's worth something. And I think that's where the missing link is. We need to show the people that it's worthwhile continuing to collect. And by the way, a recycling center is a waste management center. Recycling is turning waste into raw material. That is not waste management. So once it's collected, it's not automatically recycled. I think that's the big misconception. And this is why also on the European level now there's a very clear definition. If you take waste and bring it to the incinerator, it may be a solution for waste management, but it's not recycling. If you use it in a cement kiln instead of oil, it's part of a solution, but it's not recycling. (laughs) So there is a distinction which was very badly needed. And you can imagine that if you are a brand owner, you don't want to put waste into your products. You want to put raw material in your products. So there is a lot of legal issues which needed to be solved. Fortunately, most is already on the way being solved. And now I think the next stage, and we see that with, in some cases, mandatory content, that the industry is now pushed to start using the materials again which is the first step into a more circular economy. And of course, when the companies start reusing for them from a financial point of view, they can actually save money. Yeah. And, and maybe give an example of about two decades ago when the PET bottle came into the market. I mean, there's more plastic than just PET, but just as an example. The recyclers got the feedback from the brand owners that the material colored yellowish. And then they said, yes, but it's not us, it's your glue. So if you change your glue, the material will be better. This ended up into a platform called the European Plastic Bottle Platform, where the brand owners and the recyclers sit together to work on these kind of topics. So you don't have to take your lid off a bottle. You don't have to take your label off the bottle because it is now designed to be recycled. And the technology will take it off in the process. 20 years ago, you may have been right. Today, the technology has solved it. So the technology is clever enough for us it's, to be able to put all of our plastics into one bin effectively? Yes and no. It depends what you want to do. If you want to go to food grade, the highest level, you have to keep it separate from the commingled fractions. If you want to make a roadblock, you have more liberty of pollution. So it depends really what you want to do with your waste. In a circular economy, I mean, the optimum would go from a carpet to a carpet or a bottle to a bottle or a car to a car. If you want to go from a car to a roadblock, you can collect it differently. Mm-hmm. So the way we are collecting at the moment our waste streams in general needs to be revised with the view on raw material, not on the view of waste management. The recycling industry is ready for disruption and we need to be able to invest more heavily into it. And this is where Bernard and I are struggling, that not enough has been done to support the recycling industry and to actually disrupt it. So there's a huge opportunity for investors to be investing in this industry. But at the moment, government don't think that. Investors don't think that. So we try to change that mindset. Look at what Bernard does with his nonprofit. He is converting plastic waste into something of use. 
you know, he's got all the recyclates. They're actually here in the studio today. Yes, we'll try. You even are sitting on your it. little piggy today, which has been <laughs> created from recyclates. And it's an incredible piece of furniture that's been done. And this is the value that we want to turn plastics into. And I suppose this is why we're having this conversation. We want governments to stand up and to hear us and to support us because we really are making such a difference in converting that plastic into something of value. If you were to give one message to the government of Luxembourg, what would it be? I'd love to be able to get the message across that the recycling industry is a very underdeveloped industry and that there's a huge growth opportunity there to invest into it. So investors in government need to stand up and take note and start putting a lot more money into supporting people who are trying to make this change in the recycling business. And for you, Bernard, the same question, really, but from two aspects. Leslie's spoken very eloquently about the idea that this is an underused, underthought about industries. That means that for startups, for companies coming in, and you have worked on all sorts of different levels, but also from a company level, what are the opportunities there for startups thinking about entering this field? The best example I can give is the factory we built in Denmark to recycle fishing gear, which was not existing 10 years ago. We started from scratch on a green field with private equity, so family capitals, uh, small-scale entrepreneurs who brought money together to build a factory which is now had an investment value of about 25 million euros. And it's one of the unique places on the planet. Last year, we managed to get European legislation which makes it possible for fishermen now to get rid of their nets in the ports instead of dumping it in the seas. So there is a lot of things we can do. The technology is there to go from fibers to fibers in seven years of development because we had the learnings from the other plastics 10, 20 years ago. And nevertheless, in building this factory, we had to do everything again from scratch because it was so complex, but it's there. So those technologies are available and they can be exported all over the world. We can set up a plant in Canada, in South America, in South Africa. The issue is we need the people to believe and who are willing enough to set up also the infrastructure to go with it. And I think there is a huge opportunity for investors if they don't go for the quick money, if they're willing to sit for 10 or 15 years into these kind of investments, there is a return on investment, not only in money, but in a more clean world. And that's so important for all of us sitting here with our, our young families at school. Hopefully they'll stay at school <laughs> for a while. <laughs> and Leslie, just thinking about that day-to-day life for us as we wander about and we do our shopping, how can we as individuals, not starting our non-profit organisations like both of you, how can we help you both? I would say, Lisa, that you make that choice when you go shopping. And you choose those products that are already containing the recyclates been made from reusable plastic. You refuse the single-use plastic products as well, which hopefully will be completely eradicated around the world by legislation. You also ensure that you head to the stores that are already completely sustainable. We've got a lovely store in Austria, in Graz, but there's only one that I know of. I'd love to be able to know that I've got one in my village, which is zero waste. And I bring my own bags and my own net for my vegetables and things, and I do that. Um, you always ask me this question. It's such a hard one for me. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're living the life. That, I do live the life. Yes, you, you are literally the, the walking embodiment of, of how we all aim to be. It's just we don't always manage it. Yeah. Bernard, do you live like Leslie? I probably even worse. Yeah, I, My children see me as a kind of dictator because I, of course, show them 
last year we were, I took them in the summer holiday to clean up a river in Hungary, in the, in the poorer part of Hungary, where, of course, there's no luxury hotel where they had to sit on a campsite and they have to get their hands dirty. But they have to learn that this is part of our environment. It's only a few hours away from home. And we need also to bring those people up to a level where we can all sustain. What people can really do, there's a very easy one. It is help us to collect the data needed to prove where the problems are because a lot of problems have to be solved at the source. What we did in Waste Free Ocean, so the NGO I founded, is we work with a database called Literati. You can go to the website of Waste Free Ocean, you can freely download Literati. If you go walking in your village or in your city and you see litter on the street, take a picture. It goes to a database and from that we can map. So you can see the track between a school and a supermarket. So then you can talk to the owner of the supermarket and you can talk to the school master. Is this the right way to do it? And you can see, let's say, the parking spots near the, the motorways. <laughs> There's an accumulation. So you can help the public service to clean an extra mile there. Or so just pop in a bin somewhere. Yeah, or clean the bin a bit more frequently. <laughs> it's not always the lack of bins. It's, it's sometimes they just come once a week. Uh, you can see the, the hotspots. Uh, you can see the brands. I mean, the number one most littered item in the Netherlands is a can called Red Bull. And I've challenged them recently. They have a, a Formula One driver called Max Verstappen, who is also a Dutch guy. And I said, why don't you put Max on the television and ask all his millions of supporters to stop littering? No answer yet. This is where I think we can have the easy breakthroughs. It's not about blaming and shaming it. It's about using the resources we have in the right way. And if those influencers and those famous people are willing to, to reach out, they live on the same planet. And they can't be proud wearing a logo of a company which is in the top 10 most littered items on the planet. Social media will certainly help. And I think what Leslie said before, you can do yourself. If you go out for a walk, clean up what you see, but put it in a database. Because if you just clean it up, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really interesting. So we'll obviously attach all of your foundation information on the article attached to this. We'll attach information of how to download that app, Literati, Literati, of course, Literati, Literati, Literati. And um, I very much like the idea of the association that you're talking about, these the famous people, the influencers, as we mm. call them these days, and the association to, to living a better life, which I really do feel. We've all seen it with Greta Thunberg and, and the youth of today. There is a movement for wanting a better environment. We don't see it everywhere in the world and there are cultural differences, but uh, you are inspiring me to think that we can all make a difference. Thank you, Lisa. It's been amazing being on this esteemed show. Thank you for inviting us. <laughs> One day, when it was delightful chatting to you. And you, Leslie, thank you so much. Have you got a final message for the listeners? Just do whatever you think is needed. Uh, do it with your wallet, but certainly do it with your head. And if we can fight COVID together, we can certainly get the fight together for a better environment. Just simply do it. For me, I'd love Luxembourg to step up to the challenge and focus on becoming a global leader in going zero waste and toxic free environment. And I think that's probably why I'm moving our Irish company to Luxembourg and we're going to headquarter here. And I'd love to be more involved with making that change happen here in Luxembourg. Well, I'm quite sure you're going to be on our scene in Luxembourg more frequently. And I'm very pleased to have you on this show, first of all. Thank you both so much for making the trip here to talk to us in person. Thank you. You're more than welcome, Will. Thank you. It was great. Thank you.
And for all of the listeners, thank you so much for the feedback, for always being in touch, for giving me thoughts about further topics and for downloading the podcast, subscribing to the podcast and leaving reviews. It really, really does help. And we're always pleased to hear from you at RTL Today. Have a fantastic week. Thank you.